0: Welcome to the Poetry Questions TPQ20, where we sit down with your favorite authors to talk about passions, process, pitfalls, and poetry. My name is Chris Margolin. Let's expand the conversation. Hi. Hey there. How are you? Let me get
1: the video. Here we are.
0: (laughs) Hi. Hi, thank you so much for joining me today on TPQ20. I, I can't even explain how much of an honor this is for me. Oh,
1: al contrario. Thank you for taking the time to talk about my new book. I appreciate oh, it. Oh, we
0: always like to start things off by saying that, you know, we, we know who you are, but for some of our audience, they may be new to you. Um, if you were to kind of give the, uh, the bio that your publicist doesn't have, uh, what would you say? Who would you say you are?
1: I would say I am a writer who writes poetry that seems like fiction and fiction that sounds like poetry and essays and writing that is not for children, that children insist on reading. And uh, I, I feel that I exist on several borders, uh, but essentially I'm a woman writer who writes about coming from uh, working class roots. I'm not working class anymore, thankfully. Thanks for my pen. But I write from coming from working class roots. And I write about people from those neighborhoods. Uh, and wherever I go, I'm always looking at those those people, but especially women and children. And uh, now that I live in Mexico, I'm writing in, from Mexico. It's about as opposed to writing from the other side of the border. And uh, I think my writing is very bold. And uh, I think this book will get banned. I think my writing appeals to people of all ages and all colors and all classes and all countries. So I tend to be, uh, uh Analebrije, you know, analebrije is a creature that has wings and and different animal parts and was invented by Oaxacan artists. It has wings and looks like a reptile and it looks like a dog. And I'm made up of many parts and I fly across borders. That's what I would say. I'm Analebrije.
0: I love that. What do you think is the difference for you than uh, writing in America versus writing in Mexico? What is What do you feel is the difference for you?
1: I feel safer. Ooh. I feel That's safer that. in Mexico because I, I don't feel like some crazy person's going to get angry at me and take out a gun unless I'm involved mm-hmm. in some drug deal or I'm out at where I shouldn't be. I feel safer in Mexico, which is the irony. But I feel safer in Mexico at this time than I do in the United States because there's so much anger and people don't know how to transform their anger into poems or paintings or dance or you know, all of art is to me is therapeutic, and I'm a very happy person because I know how to transform my demons. But we don't teach people in in the, this time, I, I would say globally, unless you're in a very lucky school district, <laughs> teach people how to transform their anger and what to do with it. And we're living in a society where it's too easy to press send and to torment other people. And there's enough violence in the world without us creating more. So I feel very sad about uh, how broken, especially young people are right now and detached. So I feel like, you know, lucky to be living where I'm living now. I, I also am appalled at, uh, you know, one of the things that made me a writer was my ability to control my fertility and you know you can't do that in most of the United States anymore. It's so scary. Uh, I prayed that I would never have to make the decision about continuing or terminating a pregnancy. I prayed that I would never have that, and I worked really hard to be careful. But you know, sometimes people are victims of violence, and they won't have that choice. And if you can't control your Reproductive uh, destiny—you can't, pre- you can't control your life. That's, so I'm feeling pretty lucky living where I live right now and being the age that I am. I would not want to be a young woman with uh, fertile ovaries at this time in life, living in the, in the United States, or to be a young person in the United States. And, you know, to be a black person, to be a poor person, to be a woman. You know, it, it's a difficult, difficult time. And to be an immigrant, to be gay, to be transgender, you know, all of the, the things that I saw in my lifetime that rights that were gained, you know, were, were uh, sweeping backwards. So I, it's, uh, I'm watching the United States and I, all I can say is, what a world, what a world, like the Wicked Witch of the West. Unbelievable time.
0: Well, it, it is, and as the as the parent of a uh, of an eleven year old gender fluid child with a uterus, uh, it's uh, it's tricky to have to explain certain things and have them learn certain things. You know, as they overhear the news and have to have those conversations, um, it is it is a harrowing it's a harrowing task. Um,
1: oh, and man, you know, it must be heartbreaking know. to be a parent at this time. For- ah, it's, oh.
0: it's yeah, you never you never think you have to. Uh, have To have those types of conversations, or uh, you know, it's it sounds insane that in you know 2022 we're having those conversations at all. Wow,
1: it's, it's wow, cool. amazing, amazing. Now, you
0: you said that you said that your writing, uh, you feel like a lot of uh, a lot of younger people read your work, but it's not for them. What did you mean?
1: I meant that I never wrote for children, but I write from a child's point of view. Uh, I I didn't ever mean that young children. I wrote for teenagers who were had lived lifetimes before they reached 14. So, you know, I wrote it for them. And then you have children that are much younger, fourth grade, maybe, and uh, up reading it, and not coming from the same environment as the characters I'm writing about. So I, try, I, I realized when I was writing it that there would be children perhaps in the room. So I tried to write it without censoring myself in a very delicate way. So if you weren't initiated into the ways of the world, it wouldn't uh, damage or destroy or terrify or um what's the word I want to use uh, f- um I wouldn't lose you but I would write it in such a way that it was kind of poetic so that you know if you weren't mature enough you, you maybe maybe the guards wouldn't censor the book I just wanted to get past the censors
0: yeah well you talked about that idea of you know you think this book's going to be banned um is that a is that a uh, is that a gift or a curse it for you at this time? Oh, I now?
1: can't wait, you know, because this is an issue I want to talk about. <laughs> my house has been banned in Kentucky, but lots of things are allowed, and then other things are banned in Kentucky. It's like, Kentucky, come on. Program, <laughs> you're such a beautiful state. Come on, uh, you know, uh, and I, I just don't know what K- Kentucky lives in its own time zone. I love Kentucky, but they got a they got to catch up with the rest of the world, and you know my book was banned only in a Catholic school, so you know um, it, 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 Just didn't, yeah, it didn't start. Yeah, you know, but uh, and then it got banned in Arizona, but it got thrown out with the Chicano Studies uh, program. Uh, so I think, with you know knowing Texas, the state I lived in the longest, uh, besides Illinois, uh, I presume it, my book will get banned. There's a, uh, I'm not an LGBTQ writer by any means, but anytime you write about sexuality or sex, uh, the United States is very frightened of it. So um, I think that it'll be interesting. You know, I, my book, I wanted to put the full photograph of a nude woman on the cover and we could not because the book uh, distributors, and booksellers would, would have an they had an issue. Well, we were told they would have an issue. Right. So uh, we had to just put a detail. And I think, oh, that's so sad that a, a nude woman is looked at as something uh, perverse. When I was taking a, the beautiful photograph of Flora Gardonio, one of the premier Mexican photographers and wanted to showcase a, a photo that I thought was a beautiful woman of color. And, you know, that also, exemplified what the poems are about. I thought this would be a gentle way to tell readers this is not for children. Because children are always show up at my readings. I, <laughs> I always take a roll call and say, anyone here that preschool may hold a law for child and think, okay, put those poems away. Uh, But, you know, I'm going to- They all come come wearing a
0: red sweater. They uh, come,
1: and you know what? I will always read something for them, but I'm going to allow myself to read what I want to read at the end and say, okay, now if you have to go home early, this is the time, because I'm going to go into the adult matter. I think I'll leave the the heavier poems to the end, and those who are with children can go home, let them get up, because I don't want to offend anyone, and that's not my intent. And I, I certainly don't write to shock anybody. These are just things that I think. And right. where, do you, where do you write down things that you think that you can't say? Poetry.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. So what is, when it comes to uh, like your process for writing, um, since you are someone who lives in so many different modes, Uh, Is there a difference when you sit down to write, you know, a short story or a novel or a collection of poetry? What is your process for that? And are you someone who's superstitious about things? I always like to ask people, you know, do you have 14 candles lit in the background, and a couple sticks of incense going, or are you uh, like a nine to fiver when it comes to writing?
1: Oh, no, not at all. You know, I'm not uh, organized at all. I work at whatever's the most... uh, uh, pressing deadline. And, uh, you know, I, I always have Saturday as my, what I call my cartoon day. You know, I get to watch whatever I want on television. I usually watch like a lot of episodes of RuPaul (laughs) and I <laughs> yes. whatever I want. And I eat in bed and I just, you know, and I don't see anyone. I read only for pleasure. Like I don't want to see anybody on Saturdays. That's my detox. day. So like, I don't have like this, you know, I hear people that get up and dawn. I don't do that. You know, on the days that I have to write, I generally start after, uh, like early afternoon, like one o'clock and I will write st- uh, you, you know, if I don't have a deadline till sundown, but if I've got a deadline, sometimes I work all the way till 10. Uh, but, you know, long days like that, I don't work every single day except when I'm on a deadline. And poetry is different. You know, when I know that I've got to get a poetry manuscript done, which I did this this past uh, year, last year, uh, I felt that I was finally indulging and being very present with all the poems that were fluttering on my, you know, all around me, because I think, you know, we're, we're as poets, we're very sensitive to opportunities that, uh, come to us. And there are opportunities of, there are poems that come to us like those beautiful green bugs whose name I don't know that was metallic green that goes and buzz. <laughs> if we're lucky, they die and we get to keep the shell, you know. These are the kind of things that every day poems come to us. Every day, if you had the opportunity to pay attention, you could write several poems, but unfortunately you know, we have to get to water aerobics or we have to go uh, buy uh, bread or you know and you know I, I i some of my poems are about going to buy bread and find <laughs> yeah. the bread that i see something but it's also because i had a poetry listener and if you don't have one person in the world that is listening to you you won't finish your poems so my poems were you know in a dead end pile poetry in progress file for 28 years because i didn't have one poetry listener I had a poetry editor but that's not the same not the same at all yeah you you need somebody that says oh uh, you got anything new Uh, (laughs) oh that's great you know you want (laughs) and I feel like uh, for many years uh, there were other pressing deadlines that you know that pay the rent right unfortunately we we tend to uh, put poetry uh, at the very end and And I have a poem about that, you know, after a quote from my father, where we think about all these things, got to pick up the flea medicine. Oh, we got to sweep up all the leaves that the dogs and brought in the house. Oh, you got to bring the winter clothes down. Or oh, you can't write poetry right now because you got to go take the car to get tuned up. And there's all these <laughs> reasons. And, you know, we, we don't live in the present moment like, until a pandemic happens. To me, that was right. a really wonderful thing for me personally, even though people were suffering and I felt guilty that I was luxuriating in present time with nobody bothering me. Uh, nobody ringing the bell and no one visiting. That's my, my happiest way of being like, you know, Basho goes and lives in the little hut. You know, <laughs> you know I wanted to be like that and, and normally every day. And I think for a lot of poets and writers, we felt guilty that we weren't. Well, I felt guilty because I liked being in lockdown and I liked being uh, seeing nobody. And I liked being visited by the ants and the bees and the, the bugs and the spiders in my life i felt like i really was seeing and listening to everything around me very connected uh disconnected from the noise and from people but connected to the world and i think that's the way poets like to live you no
0: know? it's that uh, that kind of old school transcendentalist you know thought of just of being one with nature and the surroundings and taking everything exactly. in.
1: And you know, we get those opportunities so much as poets. We're so hypersensitive, but uh, instead we have to, you know, we have to deal with clutter. So for me, uh, the last couple of years helped me to finish this manuscript. I was very lucky in that I have a new agent, Stuart Bernstein, and I have a wonderful editor, John Freeman, who loved poetry. And you need the lovers of poetry to tell you, that's good. That's done. You know, you go, really? That's done. Oh, okay. You know,
0: (laughs) well, is, I mean, is your, how, how much, is, what is your editing process versus your writing process? Are you some, I mean, you just said that, you know, you
1: kind of I have don't know when a thing is done. That's why I need yeah. a so That's why it took 28 years to have I was these things around. Long. Well, you know, they're just like sitting around. I throw them under the bed. There. I write them. I think about them. I make notes to write about them. And sometimes I abandon these Lost poems that never get written there in my notebooks, but uh, you know I do have a personal friend, John Olivares Espinosa, a California poet, who uh, you know was one of my Macondo colleagues and then became my personal editor. So he's been wonderful. We've worked with each other like ten years or more now. It, you know he came into my life because I, I, you know, I was tired of asking friends who are too busy, you know, to look at my poems. So I hired him. And I said, okay, tell me if this is done. And he's (laughs) like what I call my poetry coach. Because you know how you go to the gym, you just want to work out. Yeah, I'm done. No, do five (laughs) more. And he's like that. Oh, well, you could do, you know, this could be better. Go back and think about really. Oh, okay. And then when he liked it, it just made you so happy because you knew you were uh, getting a second opinion, which poetry never done. So you need a second opinion. And so I'm very lucky that, you know, he started working with me. Otherwise, these poems would be in storage for 28 more years. So do you good.
0: feel your, how much do you think your voice has changed in those 28 years? Did you, did you I, find that you had to kind of refresh things as you went through?
1: Uh, you know, I found that I like these poems better than my juvenilia. And I like each book better than the last because I feel I'm getting uh, braver. Mm. And uh, I just think that poetry is about, for me, getting past the censors and I feel like, uh, you know, I don't have to be sweet. I don't have to get out of the I don't have to be nice. You know, I I don't have to prove of myself in poetry anymore. I can say what I think. And uh, I'm, I'm the most surprised at what comes out. I'm not trying to shock myself or shock you. But this is truly how I felt at that moment in time. It might not be how I feel tomorrow or today, but that's how I felt that moment. And to me, they're documents like more truer than um, they're portraits of myself in the nude uh, in ways that are more nude than nude portraits. So, you know, it, it, it took a little while for me to be comfortable about sharing them and reading them out loud for the audio book. And now I'm going to go in front of a stage and read them. Yeah. (laughs) You know, she really is without shame. And I feel like I've been working towards that because, you know, when you're born a a poor person or a girl or a daughter of an immigrant or uh, whatever your other is, you're fighting against shame. And I feel as if at 67, I haven't gotten rid of all, but a good 90%. And I hope to work on the 10% with the next collection.
0: I I love it. Are there, as we kind of move to a close, who are the authors out there right now that you're reading? Who are you excited about?
1: Uh, Well, I had, oh, I left it upstairs. Uh, I'm reading Raul Nino's Mm -hmm. uh, new book and I have it here. It's, it's a, I just took a photo of it because I was going to post it. Let me look and see where. I'm reading Raul Nino, Still Life with Hands. He just sent me that. And it's a Raul and I go back way back when he was like a youngster and I was his mentor. And he just sent me his uh, third collection, a little chapbook of poetry. I love that. And I'm reading, uh, uh, I'm rereading Erica L. Sanchez, the poet. Her memoir, "Crying in the Bathroom," because I'm going to interview her on Thursday, so I'm rereading that right now, and I'm reading "Holy Terror," Andy Warhol close up by Bob Chalou. Yeah, because okay. I was watching, you know, watching the Netflix uh, Warhol.
0: That was a good documentary. I really, it was a I good really series. I really
1: like. It was great. I think it's one of the best ones because they had such a wide expanse of people speaking, including people of color that needed to have their say. So yeah. I was very happy, happy about that. So that's got me interested in reading, you know, some of the, about some of the characters in there. So I'm reading that. And I'm also reading the new, um, I have it on my, on my phone. Uh, I like to have books, but because I live in Mexico, it takes a long time for books to get up to me. So I'm reading right now um, the new biography of... Jean Reese, I Used to Live Here Once uh, mm-hmm. by Miranda Seymour. And I'm reading all these at the same time, along with other books. Uh, you know, this is what I'm, I'm reading. I read a lot Wonderful.
0: of things at the same ah, time. That's, that's fantastic. So uh, to close, um, where will we be able to find your new
1: book? Well, um, my new book doesn't come out until September 13th. But look at the beautiful cover. Oh, Isn't that fabulous? Oh, that is
0: absolutely stunning.
1: I know. I love it. This is the Flor Gardonio cover. It's called Woman Without Shame Poems, Narcis Neros. Comes out on September 13th. Unless you're a reviewer, you would get a galley copy before <laughs> that. And then I'll be bouncing I around. I won't tell
0: anybody that I won't tell anybody that I've that I've already read it and my ah, well, you on to go. Yeah,
1: <laughs> follow me on Instagram or on my website to find out where I'll be because I'm going to be in a lot of cities starting with New York and DC and then the California and then I will be in uh, jumping over to North Carolina and then I come home for two weeks and I go out again, San Antonio, Texas. And then I'm going to be in Sun Valley, Idaho, and then jumping to the uh, Dodge Poetry Festival in Newark, New Jersey. And then I'm going to be in Tucson, possibly in Phoenix. I'll be at the Texas Book Fair, at the Miami Book Fair. Um, I'll be at Santa Fe, New Mexico, at Collected Works Books in November. Uh, I'm just bouncing around. So, you know, fantastic. yeah, I'm coming to uh independent bookstore
0: near you. Love it. Well, thank you so much for hanging out with me today on TTQ20. It has been an absolute honor. Uh I truly look forward to uh I will definitely be making uh, making it to one of your stops on your tour. Thank so you. I uh, look at oh, I learned how to blow
1: kisses from the drag queens. Look at this.
0: Ah. <laughs> oh. RuPaul would be very proud of you.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Have a wonderful rest of the day, and uh, I look forward to I look forward to talking I to you soon.
1: To, I look forward to us meeting in person one day.
0: Absolutely, thank um, you so much.
1: Thank Have a you. great evening. You too. Bye. Bye.
0: Thank you for listening to the Poetry Questions TPQ twenty. Please like rate, review, and subscribe. See you next week.